Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. It's so good to have you with me. One of the things that is personally gratifying but spiritually uplifting is the number of you that immediately jump on as soon as we put out a new podcast. And it just speaks of your desire to grow as a leader. Well, today I want to talk to you about leading well. And we're going to use as the template for leading well, Philippians chapter 4. And the reason we're using Philippians chapter 4 is the strategic nature of what Philippians says. But to give you a little bit of insight, uh, the church at Philippi was located in a town that was a strategic town for Rome. In fact, it was a Roman retirement center. It's where many of the Roman legion, when they had done their tours of duty, would go to, and it is where they would retire. So you've got to understand, these people were used to leading But they weren't used to leading for Christ. They were used to leading in a military center, but not necessarily for God. And so throughout the book of Philippi, you see these bridges being created by Paul when he says, Jesus is Lord. Well, all the uh, Roman soldiers were taught that Caesar is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God. They were taught that Caesar is the Son of God. So what Paul does throughout this book is he takes phrases that they were accustomed to hearing, and he articulates and takes those phrases as a reference to Christ. And so he says, hey, uh, there is a Son of God, but it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. Yes, there is a Lord in our life, but it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. So he's building these bridges and reminding them that there's something greater than what they have thought up to now. So what I want to do is take you through chapter 4 and just give you some principles. The first one we find in verse 2, and it's a simple principle, quit competing. Quit competing. One of the things that you will find is that leaders have a bias for action. They tend to be action-oriented. So whenever there's a leader, you don't see them sitting down. You see them getting up. You don't see them uh, just sort of passively uh, being in a room. They're always active in that room. They're always doing something. But when leaders have a bias for action, sometimes those actions can become competitive. They become the kind of thing that causes us to compete with others. And so in this verse, he writes uh, to two individuals, two ladies. I'm going to call them Cindy and Sally. And he says to them, he says, you need to be of the same mind. And what he was saying is, get on the same page. You're not competing with each other. You're not against each other. Uh, You're to be doing what you're doing uh, for Christ, in Christ. And when we're doing it for Christ and in Christ, someone else may look like they're doing more than us or less than us, but it doesn't matter because they're doing something for Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. I have a very dear friend, and he pastors a very, very large church. Now, this particular church, if I were to mention it, would be known all across the nation. 
But I was talking to him in a conversation, and I mentioned to him that many times his church was listed in some of the magazines that talk about the largest churches, the fastest growing churches, those kind of organizations. And let me just pause and say to anyone that's pastoring, when we get to heaven, God's not going to ask us how many people we ran. That's never going to be a part of the equation. Now, he'll ask us if we were faithful, and we were faithful to what he asked us to do, but I don't think Jesus was concerned about last weekend's attendance. But that being said, uh, I asked this friend, I said, I see that you're mentioned, and he said, we no longer publish our numbers. And I said, oh, that's interesting. He said, any number that you see is an old number. And I said, well, why is it that you don't publish those numbers He said, simply, it mattered too much to me. And what he was saying was that he looked at those lists and he saw this person was running this many and this person was running this many and this person and he was competing with them. And he said it mattered too much to him. And he said, we quit giving our numbers. And the reason they quit was they didn't want to get into the competition. Now, what I'll say to every pastor out there is that we all count. But the reason we count isn't so that we can say we run more than someone else. It's so that we can know something about our organization. Is our nursery growing faster than our teenage ministry? Is our teenage ministry running out of room? Is our Sunday ministry growing? And if so, what groups is it growing in? What is the age group so you can strategically plan and calculate. And and so there are reasons we count, but we're only counting so we can know ourselves better, not so we can know anyone else better. And so the first principle is if you're going to be a great leader, you've got to quit competing. You've got to understand God's asked you to do something. Do what God's asked you to do. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. And if someone else seems to be doing better, just sit down and say, good for them. Thank you that the kingdom of God is growing. The next principle is in verse 4. And in there, it's very famous. And it says, uh, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And it's a very simple leadership principle. And that is control your attitude. Control your attitude. And what it's referring to is simply this, that your attitude is is something that you can control. He says, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And what he was saying is, he says, don't let your attitude become subject to a moment. Don't let it become subject to an event. Don't let it become subject to a circumstance. Your attitude is a choice that you make, and your attitude is something that you control. See, if you're going to lead, people want to know if they can follow you. And if your attitude is up one day and down the next, and then it's taking this roller coaster ride, then people can't follow you because they don't know what kind of leader they're getting every day. So he said, control your attitude, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Another thought is, in verse 5, he says, and as you lead, let your moderation be known to all people. And moderation is is a word we don't use all the time, but what he was referring to, he says, as you lead, lead with your discipline. Lead with your discipline. And what he was referring to is that people watch us, 
and they watch us on good days, on bad days. They watch us when everything's great. They watch us when things are bad. And it's our disciplines that they notice. Are, are we disciplined when it comes to the conduct of our life? Are we disciplined when it comes to the values of our life? Are we disciplined when it comes to our family and life? Are we disciplined in how we execute our leadership in life? Do we have discipline? And notice what it says, let your moderation be known to all men. And what that says is people notice it. People get it. And so if you're going to be a high-capacity leader, then one of the things that you know is that you are going to lead in a way that your discipline has to be known. People have to say, you know what? That person's got it. Uh, It doesn't matter what kind of day they have. They've got it. They're going to do what they have to do. They're going to do it in the right way. They're not living on the edge. They've got discipline in their life. The next thought is in verse 6. It says, Be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And this is a simple concept, and that is pray more than you talk. Pray more than you talk. Or maybe I should uh, update it and say, pray more than you text. Pray more than you Facebook. Here's what God's saying in everything. If you're going to lead, you have to maintain perspective. What prayer does is it keeps perspective for you. It reminds you that there is a God and that you're not it. That's what it reminds you. That there is a God and you're not God. That's what prayer does. And prayer is where you take the stresses and you take the events of life and those stresses and those events in life, those stresses and those events begin to be handed off to God. Here's what I know. Leaders like to take things in their hand. But if you're going to be a Christian leader, once you take them in your hands, You put them in God's hands. And that's what the Bible says. Every leader leads in prayer. We lead in prayer because before we ever go in public, we've prayed. Before we ever go to the stage, we've prayed. I like to put it this way. I've said it for years. Your prayer time always has to exceed your stage time. Whenever you walk on stage, if you are going to be up there for 30 minutes then you better have prayed more than 30 minutes. Prayer is the gift that you give people because when you pray, you protect people from yourself. You protect people from you saying something you shouldn't say, doing something you shouldn't do. Why? Prayer keeps you in touch with God. Pray more than you talk. Pray more than you Facebook. Pray more than you text. And then he says, in the peace of God that passes all understanding, it will guard your heart, and your mind. What he's saying is leadership creates turmoil. And the nature of leadership is that you deal with turmoil. You deal with your personal turmoil. You deal with your organizational turmoil. You deal with other people's turmoil. But see, God wants to give you peace. And there's a prerequisite to peace. And that is that the peace of God follows the priorities of God. That you have peace 
where you've made important those things that are important to God. I can usually tell when I'm losing my peace, it's because I'm letting something in my life become important that God doesn't want it to be important in my life. And a second thought is, is that the peace of God follows the pace of God. When I'm walking at the right pace with God, then what happens is I have peace and life. So the peace of God follows the priorities of God. The next principle, it's in verse 9, do more than learn. It's interesting that Paul says this, those things that you've both learned and received. He distinguishes between someone learning something and someone receiving something. And he distinguishes by saying those things that you both learned and received. So what determines if you've just learned something versus received something? See, a lot of people have learned that they're to forgive, but they don't forgive. A lot of people have learned that they're to pray, but they don't pray. But here's the thing. You can always distinguish what you've learned from what you received because he said these things do. If you've received it, then you do it. If it's just something in your head, then you've learned it. If it's in your heart, you'll do it. And so the Bible says, hey, don't just learn, but receive. Do whatever you've learned. And so one of the questions that I ask leaders is, what are you learning? And then I ask them, well, what are you doing? Because if you're learning it and not doing it, then you haven't received it. Paul goes on in verse uh, 11, and he says, I've learned that whatever state I'm in to be content, that whether I'm in a good state or a bad state, whether I'm abounding or I'm abased, whether I'm on top of the world or the world's on top of me, I have learned to be content. And what Paul is saying is, never let your circumstances define you. Never let the circumstances of your life define you. In life, there are going to be times when you feel really, really good. In life, there are going to be times when you will not feel as good. In life, there will be times when you feel like you're on top of the mountain. And in life, there will be times when you feel like the mountain's on top of you. Well, what he's saying is, I have learned to be content. I've learned that my contentment isn't drawn from my circumstances. My contentment is drawn from God. And because I draw my contentment from God, I've learned that I do not let my circumstance define you. Now, Paul's pretty clear about this. The place that he's reached was something he had to learn to do. It wasn't something that came naturally. See, naturally, when things are good, we're really, really happy. When things are bad, we're really, really sad. When we're on top of the mountain, we're shouting hallelujah. When the mountain's on top of the mountain on us, we shout, oh God, why did this happen? But what he's saying is, I've learned. I don't let the extremes of life define me. I don't let the mountaintops and I don't let the valleys define me. So never let your circumstances define you. In verse 13, he gives us one of those amazing problem promises. And the promise is this, let God help you. 
Just let God help you. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what that refers to is just simply this. God's doing something magnificent. And God's able to help you to do things. And there are things that you can do with God that you will never do without God. And there are times when you think you can't do something and God's saying, but I can do that. And so he says, just let God help you. In your leadership, when you feel like you've hit the wall, let God help you. When you feel like you don't know what to do, let God help you. When you feel like you're worn out and you can't take another step, let God help you. When you feel like you've taken on a task that's too big for you, let God help you. When you feel like you've reached the level of what you can achieve, let God help you. Just let God help you because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so because of who God is, the equations change. Billy Graham used to put it this way. All worry is is calculating an equation without God being a part of it. So if you calculate the outcome without God being a part of it, you have every reason to be worried. But if God's a part of your life and you're letting God help you, then you're going to be able to manage anything that you're faced with. Another concept is this. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15, he talks to the people at Philippi, the people in the Macedonia region, Thessalonica, and he says to them, he says, you were the ones that gave. You were the ones that gave. And what he's referring to is leadership is the ultimate act of giving. See, if you're a great leader, you're a great giver. If you're a good leader, you're a good giver. I've never met a leader who wasn't a giver, who didn't give profoundly of their time, their talent, and their treasure. And let's just be honest, Jesus prioritized this in leadership. I didn't prioritize it. Jesus did. He said, if you're faithful over little, then I will make you faithful over much. But it says, if I can't trust you with that which is the least meaningful, which he said was money, he says, how can you ever be trusted with the true riches of heaven? So let's just be clear. It's not me who's asking this. It's Jesus. Can I trust you when it comes to your money? And the way I know that I can trust you is when you give. Can I trust you when it comes to your time? The way I know that I can trust you is if you give. Can I trust you when it comes to your talent? The way I know that I can trust you is if you give. Leaders give. Leaders are the best givers. I have people, and I don't want to in any way be negative because I understand everyone's at, at stages of, of growth. But I get asked by people saying, well, what about this thing called tithing? And, and tithing refers to giving a 10%. So if you get $100, you give $10. If you get $1,000, you give $100. And so on the math of the 10%. And I have people say, man, isn't that hard? But I look at them and in my mind I'm thinking, I passed 10% and giving so far back that I don't even think of it as being a challenge. 
it's not hard. Why? Because that's already come and gone in my life. But if God's going to trust us, he has to trust us with things that this world says are the most, but that God says are the least. And leadership is about giving. Leaders give when they're dead tired. Leaders give when they've been giving all week and helping people. Leaders give their time, they give their talent, they give their treasure. Leading is about giving. In fact, leading is so much about giving that they're so focused on giving everything away that they just know God's going to take care of them. And to me, leadership is the ultimate confidence that you've learned that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul's going to say in a couple of verses. But it all started here. Leading is about giving. And then the next thought in verse 17. He says, I pray that this will be credited to your account. There's only one account that matters, and that's the account that's kept in heaven. There's only one set of books that matters, and that's the set of books in heaven. Down here, what you've done may not look like it was meaningful. Down here, the time that you gave may not look like you should have done it. Down here, the talent that you invested may not look like you should have invested it. Down here, the dollars you gave may not look like, but there's only one account. And that account is God's account. And that is the account that is kept in heaven. So here's what I want you to know. When it comes to leading well, you have to quit competing. You have to control your attitude. You have to lead with discipline. You have to pray more than you talk. You understand that the peace of God follows the priorities of God. You do more than learn. You never let your circumstances define you. You let God help you. And leading is about giving. And you know there's only one account that matters. And that's the account in heaven. These are keys to leading well. I hope that you'll wrap your arms around them and think them through. And maybe there's a couple of these in prayer you can take and say, God, how am I doing in this? And you can do some personal analysis and, and maybe just ask God to search you in these areas. But if you're going to be a profound leader who leads for the long term, who leads well, then these are the kind of tests that you're going to have to embrace. These are the kind of skills you're going to have to grow. These are the places you're going to have to enlarge your abilities in. So, again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for taking a few moments with it. Um, we're entering in the Easter week. It's what I call our Super Bowl Sunday. It's when the world pauses and allows us to tell the greatest story, that he who was dead is alive, and he's alive forevermore. And I want to encourage you that as Christians, we not only... Uh, celebrate, but we serve. And we serve by going out of our way to invite people to hear this story. And so I want to encourage you this week to do that. 
Also, we've got some events coming up that will be a part. I'll be in Cummings, Georgia at a church in a couple of weeks. Then I'll be in Bartlesville, Oklahoma in a couple of weeks. All of those are events that if you're near, we want to invite you to. Uh, We have some products. Uh, The books that we have are uh, available at Gerald Brooks Ministry. Uh, the podcasts that we uh, offer, you can get the back of those. I think all of them are listed. But then we also have a flash drive. Uh, and the flash drive has all my sermons from last year. And there's a set of sermons there uh, that are about heaven and hell, questions about heaven, hell, and death. And I'm just telling you, if you've never navigated through that, that series alone is worthwhile. Hey, Uh, Love you so much. Thank you for telling others about the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.